Hello and welcome to this episode of Demystified as we explore home cooking in a modern world. I'm Linda and I'm here with my friend Paul. Hey, how are you going? Hello Linda. How are you? I'm alright. Another Friday, just like that. Yeah, it goes pretty quick actually. It does moment. go pretty quick. Well, I have a topic and I was going to ask you about, to see what your opinion is about this. I was, it's always dangerous. It's always dangerous, and, and sometimes it, well, it could be you know the, the world's shortest podcast and be over in less than a minute. But I was I got a a recipe feed on my uh, Facebook pop up, and it was about how to make stroganoff. And I love stroganoff, even though most times I can't eat it because it's got mushrooms in it. But mm. I love it, and I'm always looking for that perfect blend of sauce because sometimes they're you know anyway i'm too tomatoey or they're too something and I, as i said i can't eat them when i'm out because they always have mushrooms but this recipe uh which intrigued me didn't have mushrooms but started off by taking the steak cubing it and then whapping a whole lot of mayonnaise over it to um into the into the meat and then putting in the onions and garlic and then throwing in the meat. And I wondered, what would the mayonnaise do for that meat? And would it add anything? Or could there be another way of... Why, why mayonnaise? It's just something I've never even thought of, putting around meat before I cook it in mm. that kind of dish. I've never seen that before. Uh, I'd need to have a look at the recipe. The only thing I could say is, okay, so... Here's a test for you. Oh, no. It was my question to you. What's Don't throw the, it back. What's the bulk of mayonnaise made up of? Oil? Yeah. That's oh, a fact. That was a, that was a sigh yeah. of phew. Yeah, so oil. So I have seen people do mayonnaise and then sear and pan fry and do stuff like that. It's essentially a... a it's not another fat, but it's a very high fat content. Um, in the case of a stroganoff, I'd have to look at the recipe. Well, it was pretty simple. It was chopped onion, garlic, put the meat in, then yeah. throw into that when it but was browned a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah so brown that, the meat. And that's the key, right? Yeah. So I think what's happened there is they've used the mayonnaise to help brown the meat quickly. Okay, because then they just put in three ingredients. Yeah. Tomatoes or ketchup. Yeah. Mustard. Yeah. And then a whole lot of sour cream. Yeah. That okay. was it. Very simple. Mm. That was that was the recipe. It's funny. Yesterday I was having a conversation with, I suppose you'd call him a client. Whenever I go and do a function at this particular venue, this guy always comes up to me and hits me with his cooking questions, which is fine. But he's having a problem with his mushroom sauce for his schnitzel, right? He went to Italy and had that somewhere, and he's been trying, and this is years ago, right, and he's been trying to mimic it. Um, and so I've pr tried to provide him with some advice, several different methods and techniques that he can employ to try and make it better. And yesterday I, I said to him, listen, I need you to like, tell me exactly what you're putting in this sauce. And, so what he was hunting for is like, probably what all of us are hunting for is flavor, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so he's on the hunt for flavor. But he's essentially using like mushrooms and cream. Okay. That, that's it. You know, a little bit of garlic and he's pan frying his, I think it's a chicken. 
It's like a chicken pie art, so a very thin chicken breast. Um, and he's making a mushroom sauce in the same pan, trying to do it all at the same time. And there's so there's some flooring technique there, but yeah, he the first part was that he wasn't getting any colour on his mushrooms, but he's expecting the mushrooms to be quite bold in the sauce. Like you've got to pan fry them and get some colour on them, and that's how you're going to get some flavour into it. And I'm not a big one for making overcomplicated sauces, but like. If you add poorly cooked and semi-sautéed mushrooms and cream together, you're not getting much out of it. Which I, well, I would have thought yeah. there was a lot of water content in mushrooms There's too. Whole so you're just watering the, it all down again well, when you add the cream. They're, they're, they're actually a funny one, mushrooms. Well, yes, they do have a lot of... <laughs> to some people, they're yeah, funny. Yes. They do have a lot of water content. They can be a little bit... They can work a little bit like a sponge and draw flavour okay. in as well. So... Not like an eggplant would. Like, eggplant really is quite spongy. Mm -hmm. Not the vegetable itself, but when you go to cook it. Like, if you've ever tried to pan fry eggplant in some olive oil, the olive oil just vanishes. Like, it it just sucks it up. So, their mushrooms are a bit weird. Well, some mushrooms are a bit weird like that. Um, Doesn't answer your question about your stroganoff, but it just reminded me because I thought, uh, you know, you can add various ingredients to any dish. I would suggest that the mayonnaise thing is to help get colour on the exterior faster. Because what you what they're probably not wanting to do is overcook the meat. What do you remember? What cut it was? It was um, blade steak. Yeah, mm. you see, because that's a bit of a how do I say it. It's not a true secondary cut, but it's not a true primary cut. So there's a very fine line between that being palatable and not, depending on how you cook it. So blade steak can be a bit tricky to cook. Yeah, I normally use blade steak and cook it long and slow. Yeah. In a casserole type. Yeah, yeah. Braise type. Whereas this, whereas like a... Braise? Yeah. Whereas like a stroganoff isn't really that, right? You're not cooking it for hours. It's a 10 minute, 15 minute cook, sort of. Which is probably a weird time, really, because you're either wanting to cook it really quickly and get it done and serve it sort of rare-ish, or do the low and slow type thing, which is where some of those recipes fall apart. It's not it's not the recipe. Like, I'd be interested to know like when stroganoff came about, what the cut was that was used, because I bet it wasn't blade. No. But anyway, so yeah, but you can use mayonnaise to help colour the surface of something but it's the the bulk of it is just another fat and the, it's a convenient thing too because you don't have to deal with butter oil slides off and mayonnaise is a bit tacky right so it'll stick to the surface so it can help I've never done it myself it's never been a thing that I've thought hey I'm going to try this and this is going to be really good I don't know if it has any impact on flavour I have no idea. I wouldn't have wouldn't have thought so. Like, because when we and I think we've talked about this, right? When we talked about eggs, one egg yolk when you're making mayonnaise. So when you make mayonnaise, it's egg or whole egg or egg yolk, mustard, generally a little bit of acid, so vinegar or lemon juice, and oil. That's pretty much a mayonnaise recipe. But the funny thing is, is that a single egg yolk will once you get the mayonnaise started, 
right? And considering the fact that you put mustard in as well, mustard's also an emulsifier. One egg yolk can hold almost an infinite amount of oil. Wow. Okay. So you can actually, like quite often you'll read a recipe that says, oh, you know, do two egg yolks for 500 mils of oil, right? You can actually do one egg yolk and make litres and litres of mayonnaise. Once you get the, the emulsification started, okay, it's almost infinite. Almost. I, I don't know what the extreme end is. But, yeah, so I would say to you that all they're doing is using the, the fat, which is the bulk of what mayonnaise is, is to get some colour. Okay. We have a couple of listener oh, well, questions. Oh, have we? Okay, because we, which, I was going to ask you we, to... Uh, are you a stroganoff fan? Do you know what? I haven't cooked or eaten a stroganoff since I was a child. I think it was a, it was a dish of the 80s. And you know that's where I'm stuck, right? Yeah. Yeah. Musically, so, food-wise, you know that's me, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I don't... Like, I think it's something that, like mum used to give us yeah I think and and it was back in those days that you know the international herb du jour was like paprika because yes. I think you put paprika in oh there was enough. there was a little bit of paprika yes yeah. now that you mention that because yes. it's Hungarian right I yeah think. but it was a sprinkle yeah and I'm thinking oh, I'd probably go a bit heavier than that but that's me yeah Yes. So, okay. I, it's Hungarian though, isn't it? Yeah. Strong enough? Yeah, yeah. So, I like paprika. Well, I'm not sure. I've never been to Hungary, so... Yeah. I don't know if it's a... But whether we've called it that. Like, I might have to cook one, right? I don't know. Oh, well, any time. But then yeah. you probably want to put mushrooms in and make it properly. But, well, uh, I don't even know if mushrooms is traditional, right? Neither do I. Yeah. But they seem to have, you know, landed very fairly and squarely in the recipe. Yeah, but that's in Australia. That's right, like lemon chicken. Yeah, but like... Or honey chicken, which or, I'm not sure I mean, are real dishes remember, in like I, I distinctly remember very early days being shown how to make a pasta carbonara correctly. And then right throughout my younger years of cooking, if you would go out and eat it, everywhere would be cream. Yes, And it, it would is. often have mushrooms and it would often have spring onions too. Yes, Yes, I do remember yeah. the... Well, I could never eat it when it had mushrooms, but I do remember the spring onions and cream phase. Yeah. And uh, I have had it without any of that. Really lovely. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful fantastic. Dish. Okay, so we've anyway, got listener so questions. Got, okay. Yeah, they, they emailed them through. Well, Excellent. Thank you. Excellent. Yes. Great. So, someone was listening to our Spice podcast last week. Now, this isn't necessarily related to Spice, but it sort of is. Someone brought up microplanes. For oh, yes. Load. Yeah. So I suggested that a good thing to have in your kitchen kit is a mortar and pestle, but a microplane is also a yeah. very good one. Yeah, there are. I can back that up. Yes. Yeah, there are cheap and expensive versions of a microplane. Um, I always find it funny with things like a microplane when the brand name becomes the thing. So all versions of microplanes are now called a microplane because of the brand microplane oh really it was a brand first not yeah, a, yeah not it's a, a brand yeah it's not a that's the brand I the thought brand it was a really microplane. simple no. clear definition of what that no. that item is yeah so okay, the brand is microplane well there you are Didn't it's like that. um we call eskies eskies but esky is yes. the brand name yeah right it's a it's a cooler. Or a chili bin, chili or bin. Yeah. it depends where you're from, right? But we call it Eskies. I always find it. 
Anyway, so they're cheap ones and they're good ones and they're expensive ones. Do you get what you pay for? Absolutely. So in that scenario, like a microplane isn't an inexpensive piece of equipment, but for we were mentioning like whole spices the other day. Yeah. So especially nutmeg, really good. Yeah. Really, really good totally, for nutmeg. Yeah. But they're also like great for hard cheeses, so parmesan, pecorino, yeah. anything like that. Of course, zesting fruit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Really, really good. Um, and yes, you do get what you pay for. And I always tend to get the microplanes that are a bit on the finer side rather than the coarser side because I think the finer ones will do more jobs. A coarse one than trying to do some nutmeg on a coarse or a larger um, bladed microplane is harder. Really hard, yeah. So invest in a, a finer one. I think they're anywhere between sort of 20 and $40 Australian. Yeah. But... If you look after it, and it's not the tool to go in the second drawer with the whisk, the wooden spoon, the Oops. sushi mat, the rubber spatulas, the ladles. Don't tell the, everybody what's in my second drawer. Yeah, you know, but it's everyone's second drawer, <laughs> yeah, right? That's true. So they generally do come. A good one will come with a sleeve or a cover. Keep it yes. in that. Yeah. Consider it like a knife, right? So you want to look after it. You also don't want to put your knives in your second drawer, but no. Well, know. I don't do that now. I don't do that yeah. for a while. Uh, so, so that yes, was, that's that a great question. question. Number yes. one. So yes, if you're going to get a microplane, get a good one. Yes. And you're only there to buy one. And they very. I have, if you buy a good one, I haven't encountered one yet that's gone blunt. The only way they'll go blunt is if they end up in the drawer and getting claimed against other metal. So, yeah. Uh, okay. Second question was around dry herbs. So we did mention we were talking spices and stuff like that. So dry herbs like thyme and oregano and rosemary and all those sorts of things. Someone has asked, um, do we see these in Australia? Um, and is there a big difference in the brands and stuff like that? Okay, so yes, they are available in Australia. I Now, oregano is a different one. Right, so if I sort of park that, but if I look at sort of rosemary, thyme, sage, the common hard herbs, what we would term, in their dried form, unless you've dried it yourself, but in their dried and then almost sometimes they seem like semi-powdered, but they're kind of crushed down a little bit, um, they rubbish. Dried dill, it's junk. Dried parsley, rubbish. It's got no... I don't find no that they have any no. flavour. No. And especially, like, you can get a piece of rosemary five centimetres long and that will have a massive impact in, on your food, depending on how you treat it, but generally. And you can unload a whole little jar of dried rosemary and just not... It doesn't have the same oomph to it. So while, yes, they do exist, I don't use them. Now, I'll put a caveat on that by saying oregano, I do. Because actually, that works in the reverse. So fresh oregano is very tame as far as a flavor note. And there's lots of different oregano types. So you and I, in, in your office, we've had several different sort of Greek Cypriot yes. people work here. So they're very specific about totally. their was, oregano. I was going to mention which, that. <coughs> yes, which, which oregano, brand? Yeah, which oregano they use because yes. it's actually a different variety. And so right throughout Europe, there are different varieties of mm -hmm. oregano. Yes. Um, but 
a, let's say a standard dry oregano it actually has quite a lot of pungency and flavor to it whereas fresh oregano is very tame very gentle very mild so that kind of works in the reverse that one um, so I do in my pantry at home I don't have dried rosemary dried thyme dried herbs no. as such but I do have oregano absolutely and, yes I have a, a packet that I have from my from one of those the the the, uh, the lovely uh, Cypriot penny yeah and it's totally it's different, fantastic right? yeah, yeah. it is fantastic oregano I must say yeah but it's t- it's a totally different thing to what you would get out of like a master foods Oh, just any yeah. other, yeah, because yeah. it is it is completely different, and she yeah. gets it from a specialty store. Yeah, and sometimes mm. like like um, so in the car park at the moment, I've got some herbs. Yes, <laughs> I did wonder about the that. The green grocer. I asked him one day for lemon verbena, and he didn't know what I was talking about. And then I showed him a picture. And he's like, "Oh, I've got I grow that at home. I've got oodles of it," and so. He's obviously got quite a big plant because he said to me, oh, how much do you want? I said, I just want like a, a handful worth. Anyway, so he chopped down half the tree and gave it to me. It's, it's like three feet long and about yeah. two feet wide, that bunch. Yeah. So it's sometimes good in that scenario. When he gave it to me, I used the fresh leaves on the day. But because I had such an abundance, I have dried it out. Now, I have to actually pick some and... I've essentially crushed it and blended it and made a, a powder out of it, which is quite strong, right? So it's quite good. So you can do it yourself as well. So if you've got really heaps of rosemary, because rosemary's like, mm. over here it's like a weed, right? Yeah, everyone can grow it. Heaps of rosemary, you can actually just dry it. So you just break the stalks and hang them upside down in a really well-ventilated area where you get lots of air movement and let it dry out. And then you can make your own rosemary salt and you can do all sorts of things with it, right? So... Yes, you can throw it in your sauces or stocks or whatever. Um, and I actually think that if you're going to get into dried herbs, you're better off doing it yourself rather than paying for them. Because they, they will be better quality. They'll be stronger, better quality. Anyway, sorry, I digress. Last question. Um, what's the difference with good French baking tins that are polished stainless steels and cheaper coated grey tins do you get what you pay for okay so this is a bit tricky because everyone most tins that people are trying to produce today in the baking realms are um, everyone wants non-stick right so it really not isn't so much about the, the surface it's actually about the material that's been used right so while that material may have an impact on what the surface is, but it's how it's how it conducts heat. Best example I can give you is there's a, a little French cake called a camelot, right? Super easy to make, but it takes time to master. And traditionally, it's probably how big is that? Like eight, six or eight centimeters mm-hmm. tall. Probably it's round. And if you haven't ever seen one, just Google it and look it up. They're beautiful, like sort of this chewy custardy cake thing, right? They're only small, little bite. And they're very, very famous. Now, for as long as I can remember to make them and to make them properly, they had to be made in individual copper 
moulds. And if you go and look online now... They're not cheap. Go and look <clears> online and see if you can find proper French cannelet moulds, copper cannelet moulds. If you can find a set of six for less than 150 or $200, you are doing really, really well. But of course, now we have silicon. And I know you're a big silicon fan, aren't Well, you? I do use the mm. silicon, but I use it for very specific purposes. Now, can you bake in silicon? Yes. It's really easy to clean, which is good, but there is drawbacks, right? So those copper cantalay moulds versus a silicon cantalay mould, while on the surface of it would look very, very similar, there is a part of it, and it's kind of like making a paella in not a paella dish versus okay. making it in a paella dish. Mm-hmm. Like, you get that, what do they call it? The soccerat at the bottom, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. In a paella dish. Because of the material, it's very thin metal. Yes, exactly. Contact, yeah. you know, all that sort of stuff versus not, right? And you'll still get a little bit of, bit of it if you make it in a non-paella dish, but not the same level, right? No. So can you make cannelay, as an example, in silicon? Yes, you can. Will you get the same exact texture, those crispy edge parts, you know, that sort of stuff, if you do it in silicon versus doing it in copper? No, you won't. So my answer to this is, a very long-winded answer is yes you do get what you pay for but look for something that's going to give you longevity right so a cheap springform tin that's on sale at the supermarket like pick it up and if you can bend it with your fingers don't buy it it's that it's pretty much that simple you want something that's reasonably solid the surface material matters less than what the material actually is constructed of because Different things conduct heat in different ways. The cantalate works because copper is an awesome, awesome conductor of heat. Correct. Mm, yeah. So we've discussed yeah. that. Yeah. Do you get what you pay for? You you kind of do. Um, it's also mentioned here that back in the old days, old tins were black, um, and the the it says here the thought is behind that because it would absorb heat better in like gas ovens. I don't know the truth of that, if that has any validity or not. Um, but most most baking tins and dishes that you'll get this day have, they could be a variety of different colours and they could have a variety of different surfaces and even coloured surfaces. Like I, I went and saw some baking tins just before that was gold they were gold like not literally gold no. but they were like this non-stick gold colour and I'm like well okay good but what's it actually made of so find out what it's made of see if it's a good conductor of heat and then you're away and what, so apart from that then yeah. what purposes do you actually use your silicon moulds for your silicon I've seen you use them for small individual yeah so it's really yeah. convenient well for me also because i travel right yes so yes. because i i will quite often when i if i travel and do a big trip i carry two suitcases one is clothing and the other is equipment now i don't want to be lugging heavy baking tins and that sort of stuff around and because i can roll them bend them crush them doesn't matter if they get damaged. The only way to damage it is to stick a knife in and cut it. So that's one of the reasons that I have silicon. The other is is that um, 
it's a it's a convenience thing for me too. I also use silicon molds to I like to use them to set desserts and things like that. So they they keep shape pretty well, um, and they they cool down a lot faster than let's say a metal does. So I can go straight from the oven to the fridge to the freezer much quicker. So the mold itself will cool down a lot faster. Um, they're easy to clean. So if you've got a baking tin that's got a surface put onto it, let's say a non-stick surface, as we know with fry pans, over time that it's stuff wears wear off. off. Yeah. Right. Whereas this, and it's not healthy for you that stuff either. No. Well, yeah. If anyone's interested, watch a movie called Dark Waters. It's on Netflix. It's actually all about the the grand days of Teflon. Yes. It's a very interesting movie. But anyway, um, so yeah, it's a. I like them. I like silicon for varying reasons, but I don't use it for everything. What wouldn't you cook in a silicon? Well, you've also got to think that silicon's harder to handle when it's hot because the whole thing's flexible, right? So you wouldn't want to do anything too big or heavy. So you don't want to be doing a lasagna dish. Very rarely would I bake a cake in oh, silicon. Yeah, a cake, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, muffins can be a little bit tricky. Because you've got to remember, you've got to get these things out and you are still moving them while they're potentially pretty hot. So it can be a little bit awkward sometimes. So I tend to... Things that are lighter, which is why my silicon moulds are all individual different shapes and sizes, but they're sort of individual moulds. You know, I might have a set of four or six in one silicon piece, but I'm not doing an 18 inch cake no. in silicon because no. I, th- I actually think it's just too hard to manage and what you'll find is is that because it's flexible and if you've got something hot the likelihood that you'll break it is pretty pretty high you're trying to you, you, you read a recipe it could be any recipe right you read a recipe and it says once it comes out of the oven turn it out of the tin straight away and place it on a cake rack to let it cool try that with silicon it's very it, like you, you'll break your cakes really really quick so sometimes spring form tins are absolutely still valid and worthwhile so yeah anything heavy I try and avoid yeah, I mean, yeah. that makes sense like you can't mm. like I I haven't had any success doing New Yorkshire pudding in silicon none really okay because I know you, so, yeah, yeah I know you make those yeah yeah regular, so there you go yeah you know, sometimes mm. you need... Because remember, it's not going to hold the heat the way that uh, metal will. Yeah. Right? So, and of course, different metals will hold heat better. Um, but silicon will be at the bottom end of that run. So, it's not going to hold the heat that, w- that well. So, if you need something that's going to hold the heat... Because remember, as soon as you add volume to anything, you change its temperature. So, yeah, you, I, I haven't been able to do... And, like, I'm picky about my Yorkshire puddings, but I haven't been able to do good Yorkshire puddings in silicon. So what do you use instead? Muffin tin. Okay. Yeah, it's the best thing. Yeah, we can talk about Yorkshire puddings all day. because It's cool. They're really good to make. Well, there you go. Yeah. Another topic for another day. Yes. Well, thank you for that. And thank right. you to our listeners for coming in with... Some questions. Some questions. Keep them coming. Really appreciate it. Stops Great. Linda having to think. 
<laughs> Which, as we know, is always a good thing. All right. Well, See until you then, next week. yes, until then, happy cooking, everybody. Happy Bye. Cooking. Bye. Thanks for listening to this podcast as we explore home cooking in a modern world. We'd love you to subscribe, and for more information, please go to our website, cookingwithsteam.com. Mm-hmm.